Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homey. I am your host and your guide, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. We are the business creators. We have entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have those who help others create and grow their businesses, and we have do-it-yourselfers who like to have their own hands on the levers as they market and grow. If you're one or more of the above, and in fact, many of you may be all four of the above, take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how we help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. Be sure to subscribe. Over 180 episodes of content relevant to business creators will immediately propagate into your iTunes, and fresh content will be added every single Tuesday. So today, I'm so excited, I just cannot wait to jump in. And let me tell you what's going on. Uh, those who uh, listen to the Business Creators Radio Show may recall that last year we had on a gentleman named Ace Chapman. It was a fantastic interview. Go back to the Business Creators Radio Show, go to the listing of guest experts, find Ace, and you'll find that interview. It was great. Uh, the man was energetic. He was on fire. He got me a little bit fired up, too, which makes these a little bit more interesting. And a few weeks ago, uh, we found out that he had a new topic that he felt would be helpful to our business creators. And I said, hell yes, bring him back. So Ace Chapman is back again. Now let me just tell you a little bit about him, then we're going to say hello. Ace Chapman of PartnersEquityFund.com bought his first business when he was 19. It was an online stock market simulator called Cool Wall Street. After selling it and seeing the benefits of buying a business over starting one, he caught the business buying bug. Since then, he has bought and sold over 30 businesses, and they solve clients all over the world by over 100 businesses. The reason we have Ace on today talking about website acquisitions, so many business creators say we need to have the value of our business so we can sell it. We need to make sure we're not solopreneurial so we can sell it. We need to build our assets. We need to build our leverage because well, ultimately we want to have a selling price for this business. So I thought it would be very helpful for you today to hear from a man who's on the buying side so that you can get into the mind of somebody who may be looking to buy your business and get a sense of what you need to be doing. Ace, welcome back. It is good to be back on with you, Adam. Thanks for having me back. Oh, I wouldn't have it any other way. So, uh, you know, it's been a while. It's been almost a year since we had you here last time. And we have a lot of new listeners in many different countries and many different areas of the world uh, for the Business Creators Radio Show. So there's still some folks out there who may not have had a chance to get caught up or who may just now be getting a chance to get to know you. So I told you, uh, you know, a little bit about your backstory and uh, and what has brought you here today. But what I'd like to hear in your own words is, you know, what passionately drove you to this intersection you're at right now serving business creators? Like, what is it that wakes you up in the morning? What is it that excites you about what you do? So, you know, I, I got into this not because of any big plan. I ended up um, buying a, a business while I was in college, sitting in my dorm room, playing around on the stock market simulator, and uh, talked a little bit about that on the, on the last episode. But 
what has happened over the last 17 years, which is hard to believe, is um, it, it, it's been one of those things where the more I've, I've helped other people go out and acquire businesses um, and then compare that situation to uh, a lot of their stories to me about, you know, the trials and tribulations of trying to start something from scratch, it's become very clear that there are a lot of people out there, there are probably a lot of people listening to this episode right now that they would make great business owners. And the tough thing is is making it through what I call the entrepreneurial gauntlet. And it's all of the things that can go wrong when you're trying to start something from scratch. And we, we know it from the statistics. And so what we've done is taking the, the theories like uh, Lean Startup a step further. So Lean Startup kind of says, hey, the, the startup is the riskiest period. It's the hardest period. You know, you're not making money. It's, it's really tough. And so we need to make that period as lean as possible. And we just take a step further to say, hey, if, if, it, if it does suck, let's just skip that and find a business that's already operating with a seller that's really motivated to move on to their next project. And we go in and take over that profitable business so that day one we start making money. And then we start growing that business and bringing our own innovative um, ideas and solutions to, to taking that business to the next level. Wow. See, that right there is something that, I, that jumps out at me. Because, you know, you mentioned you did this when you were in college, you're up in your dorm room, you're playing with the stock market simulator. And when I was about that age, I had, I was already catching the entrepreneurial bug. When I was in college, I was a political science major. Um, I still had the idea that I was going to go into the practice of law. Now, that's a different journey. That's a different story for a different time. Uh, mm -hmm. So I had my political science classes and, you know, I would, uh, I'd have my term papers that were due and you know how it was. You had six months to do the term paper. You started the research the night before. So nothing new under yeah. the sun there. And this is before <laughs> the days of, this is a few years, a few years before Wikipedia. So mm. here I am supposed to be doing my poli-sci term papers and instead I'm down in the computer lab. See, I'm dating myself. Because uh, I uh, I was in college a few years before it was standard for everybody to have a computer in their room. You still yeah. stood in line for the lab downstairs. And I'd be down there, and I would be looking at websites, uh, some of the earliest e-commerce websites that sold competition auto sound components like subwoofers and amps and head units and equalizers and wires, thing, you know, subwoofer boxes, those sort of things. Because I was in the process of building a system for my Camaro. And I had a couple opportunities to actually get involved as a reseller of some of these things, one of which was a, uh, a company that made these custom door panels for the third-generation Camaro, because anybody who has a third-generation Camaro is familiar with that very high dashboard uh, that you know, kind of sits at your eye level, and you have to strain to see over it, and you have the two tiny little four-by-six speakers in the corners. So your front stage which is the, uh, the sound that comes from the front of the car, is so badly positioned that you actually need to install custom door panels or custom kick panels to center the stage so that it feels natural. That's how badly designed the default factory auto sound for the third generation Camaro was designed. So mm. I bought these door panels, and then the company asked if I wanted to become a reseller, and I thought about it. 
Uh, but then I allowed myself to be talked out of it by people who said, oh, come on. You want to get involved in one of these get-rich-quick schemes? And what the hell are you doing? You should be investing in the stock market. Well, I didn't know nothing <laughs> from the stock market. I worked, I worked part-time in fast food, and I was 21 years old in college. I didn't know a damn thing for the stock market. I knew about I need 30 bucks for Thursday night. That's what I knew about. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> so uh, yeah. but, but, what was, but what was coming up was the entrepreneurial bug in me mm-hmm. that said, hey, you know what? Maybe there's a different way to make money than going somewhere and exchanging my time for a paycheck. Uh, those words weren't quite formed. I hadn't heard of Rich Dad and all that other stuff yet. But yeah. we, it was kind of sprouting within me. So you began to nurture the tree earlier than I did. It was the same kind of thing. It was in college. You're in college to do one thing, but another thing is capturing your attention, and it leads to something. Now, I made a journey similar to yours, except I don't buy and sell businesses, uh, but my journey took an extra five years. You jumped on a little bit earlier. That's one of the big differences between us. So, yeah, well, the similarities are very interesting, though. So, number yeah. one, I was a poli-sci major. Wow. <laughs> I was headed to law school as well. So, wow. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. But um, it was the same thing. I mean, I had to, at that point, there weren't the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world. There weren't these people that had dropped out of college and, and gone onto the Internet and, and done uh, those kind of big things. And so – um, you know, I really kind of had to keep it a secret that I was doing this thing on the Internet because, like you said, like the Internet was a really new thing at that point. This is 1999. We were just yep. getting kind of the Internet into the, the dorm room and, and all of that. You know, my parents were and, and my house was still on the dial up, uh, which is just amazing to think about that we dealt with waiting on a single page of a website to download for that long. Uh, but yep. everything was, was really new. And so when I came across that very first website, um, and, you know, I, I, I realized that these guys had some issues, all I wanted to do was go and intern for that company. So they were running this stock market simulator. The business ended up uh, just always crashing. The customers were always having issues. And we reached out to them, to, or I reached out to them to just become an intern. They wrote back and, and said, hey, we don't really want an intern because we want to get rid of this business. If you know anybody that wants to buy it, you can get, a, get them to buy it and then intern for them. And I'm like, why would I get somebody to buy a business just so I can be a free intern? So I contacted them to uh, just find out, you know, really pretending like I might know somebody and I uh, was curious if they would share the numbers with me, and they did, and they were willing to sell it for for seventy thousand, was making sixty thousand, and uh, I did a, a very simple valuation method compared to what I was paying for college. You know, I knew people that after spending thirty thousand a year for four years, um, having one hundred twenty grand in debt, they were coming out of college making thirty grand. I'm like, okay, this is a pretty, this is a pretty good deal compared to that. Uh, and yeah. so that was really my motivating factor. But, you know, I ended up taking out some, some credit card debt to get that deal done. And, you know, I knew if my parents found out that I took out credit card debt to buy some web page on the Internet, they would have absolutely killed me. <laughs> <laughs> so that was my biggest stress at that point. 
But, yeah, it was one yeah. of those things where, you know, I, I, I basically dropped out of college, and I remember the girl that I was dating at that point, you know, I told her, it's like, hey, I'm not going back to school. You know, I'm going to run this business. And it was making really good money at that point. But even with that, you know, she was like, are you crazy? You know, you, this thing is going to go bankrupt. You're going to be a loser and basically dump me. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So it was it was crazy to to go this entrepreneurial path. So a lot of those same things that that you know you're talking about, it's like man, you're giving up this safe, secure thing to go out and do something that seems really risky. Yeah. You know, and uh, and you know, I was in college from 1994 to 1998. You're talking about 1999. So we are in a similar time frame, and you know, and just you know, around that time is when the government was first really getting involved in student debt. And as soon as the universities found out that, hey, the government's behind this, well, oh, we're going to ride that gravy train. And now we're at the point where you go to college and you come out as part of a permanent debtor class, basically. Uh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, I was, I, was, uh, I was down in a cigar shop the other night, and I was speaking with a friend of mine down there who's, uh, who's a, a physician. And uh, you know, he, he told me something that even I didn't realize is that the average cost of a medical school education, your four years of med school after your four years of college, $500,000. Wow. What kind of doctor do you have to be to pay off half a million dollars in debt to get that certificate? And then you wonder, and then you wonder why everybody diagnoses themselves using WebMD. Well, it's, uh, I know those guys. Like, I have friends that are dealing with that at this very moment and it's just overwhelming to think like you know you're going out and and you go through all this schooling and that's the first investment that's the the crazy thing is you've got a tremendous investment of time and life and effort and then you also have this huge burden once you get done with that investment that's very tr that's very true i mean uh I mean, I came out of college with about $12,000 in debt, all said and done, because uh, I had a little bit of savings. My parents chipped in a little bit. I took out some loans, and I did the RA thing uh, so that I could have my own room and get the room and board paid for. God, I hated it, but uh, the, uh, having my own room with no roommate, that was sweet. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, I kept that down. Then a couple years later, I went for my MBA. Um, still very glad I got the MBA, very proud of it. Um, I've mm -hmm. used some of the lessons I learned in the MBA um, applied them to entrepreneurship have kept me out of a lot of uh, pitfalls that I've seen other people fall into because I had that mm. background of studying business in that level. So that tacked on about $36,000 because at that point I just borrowed the whole thing. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm about halfway through paying that off almost 20 years later. Uh, I'll <laughs> be close to retirement by the time I pay it off. I don't worry about it too much because it's a low interest yeah. loan and the government taxes it anyway. So I'll pay everything else off first. Not not even a worry. But the point being is that's still uh, that amount of money, 250 to $300 um, out of my income every single month uh, until I reach a, a pretty advanced age unless I decide I want to step it up. But then again, I have much better uses for my money. But that's just me. Point being, yeah. it costs a heck of a lot. So, uh, you know, some of these other things begin to look more attractive. And then what we're also seeing is with, uh, and I'm reading some articles about this, 
you know, we're talking about in our current, um, you know, political economic climate here in the United climate here in the United States. We're talking about, you know, bringing jobs back, uh, expanding manufacturing, uh, investing in more American companies, all of which is fantastic, and I think that's great. Uh, what's going on at the same time is we're seeing the rise of the robots, where more mm-hmm. companies are becoming entirely mechanized. So we can yeah. bring back. Uh, 300,000 jobs in the first 50 days of the Trump administration. That's fantastic, and it's great that we're beating those numbers. But on the other side of that, uh, there is the increased mechanization that's going on. And, uh, we, and we've actually been warned about this for years now, but people have been paying attention, is that uh, you know, it's just going to go beyond fast food kiosks. A lot of things are going to be replaced by robots. It's going to get to the point where you have to be an entrepreneur, even if you're a paycheck a paycheck drawer, because the entrepreneurial skills are what you're going to need to move from employment opportunity to employment opportunity. Uh, we're already seeing more and more. There's no more gold watch. There's no more Shaq and Fort Lauderdale. So you're kind of a free agent, and your loyalty needs to be to yourself, not to that company. So that's already you in know. place. But imagine how that's going to be accelerated over the next 20 years as the robots really kick in. It's so funny. I was uh, on a flight here recently, headed to a meeting, and uh, I was with a, uh, an investor of mine. And we're in the airport, and you know we're, we're going through, and the you know they have the automated things up front. And we were trying to ask the lady a question, and she's like, "Well, no, you need to use the automated things. Like that's right there. That's what they're there for. Like everything is on there." And you know she was so happy and thrilled to tell us that she did not have to work, basically. The machines were going to do the work. And it's so funny to think, like, you realize that, like, by making yourself less useful, you have no case. Like, if anything, it would be smart to go and have all these case studies to be able to prove to the company, like, hey, this is why you need me. By you sitting back right. and being excited that you don't have to work, that's what they want. They want to, right. to, to, to get you excited about not working so that when you don't do anything else, they can get you completely out of there and the whole thing will be run by machines and computers. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, you know, talking about the robots and talking about the political economic climate just a little bit further, uh, you know, we hear in the news all the time uh, what's going on with all the markets, uh, the unprecedented records being set, um, and some are calling it the quote-unquote Trump rally. That's fantastic. Again, it's great to have the money flowing. But there's another undercurrent to that that, again, goes back to the robots. Uh, part of that is driven by economic optimism uh, because they see that we now have an administration in place that's going to, in their view, be a lot smarter about regulations and investments in technology, uh, which is great stuff. Now, when you have changes in regulations and investments in technology, that leads to robots. So, again, yep. you need to have these entrepreneurial skills because you never know when your job's going to be taken over by a robot. I mean, I don't think it's going to be like the Terminator here anytime soon, but, uh, but you've got to be mindful that there are machines out there that can think like humans. There are robotic dogs that act like dogs. It's not that it's happening. It's here. So you've got, you got to be smart about this. And if you're going to start a little business and you want to be selling that business at some point, or you may find yourself in a situation where you need to raise a hundred grand, so selling the business would be the way to do it. Uh, that's what we need to do. So let's hop on this for a little bit. Uh, 
what are some things that people who might be considering buying a business, what are some tips that you have for them? You know, the, the, when it comes to buying these deals um, in general, and I know we talked a little bit about offline and, and uh, touched on online businesses, but what we've seen in the last couple of years is a huge transition into buying Internet-based businesses. And there are a couple of things that, that people are looking for when they buy those types of businesses. Number one is they are looking to have that location-independent lifestyle. You know, it's great to have opportunities to travel and, and um, live where you want and, and all that, but I, I think the entrepreneur in general is, is becoming a lot more of a lifestyle-focused entrepreneur, and yes. it's, it's having the freedom not just to travel somewhere, but to go somewhere, stay there for a few months, and not have anything change in your business. And, and that's kind of a new thing. I mean, it, that was something that, you know, again, going back to that time period when, when we were in college, that normal person just didn't do. You were excited to have a couple of weeks off a year. You go with the fam on vacation. And in order to take months off somewhere, like you had to be a multimillionaire or live in this billionaire lifestyle. So today, the neat thing is that the, an average person, because of technology, is able to buy a business, make a hundred grand a year, not really live any kind of extravagant lifestyle, but they can be anywhere in the world and run that business and not have anything change. So that's one of the criteria that you know I I personally have, and a lot of people that I work with, and it's not just so that. You know, you can go on the beach and, and chill there, but it's really powerful. You know, I spent the last two years in the Caribbean, and then my dad got sick. And it wasn't a big deal for me to come back to the U.S. and be closer to him. And so it, it, it's not just, the, like, leisure aspects. It's being able to, to be with your loved ones and, and spend time with, with them as well. The second thing, and probably the, the most important thing when we're looking for a deal, is the profitability. So we're not talking about buying something that you're going to get ramped up and hopefully one day it makes money. It's a really great idea. We're also not buying potential. You know, I'm quick whenever I'm working with a, um, <laughs> a potential uh, seller to us and we're going through and they get really hung up and they're, they're excited to tell me about all the potential that the business has, I have to tell them and, and let them know, listen, I'm not here to buy the potential. Like I've, That means I've got to go in and do work, and I'm not going to pay you for work that I have to do. So what I want to talk about is what is the asset that I'm buying, and how much money is it generating, because that's what's going to give me the, the um, basis for the price and the offer that I end up making to you. It's not going to be based on the potential or the, the things that I have to pull out of that business. And then the, the, the last kind of quick overview criteria for us is we want to see that there is some stable history of those earnings. So yeah. how much money is it making? 
and then how long has it consistently been making that? I don't want to see that, you know, in one month it was 10000 and then the next month it was 1000 and the next month after that it was twelve, and then after that it was three. You know, there are businesses that have seasonality to them, but the random kind of ups and downs in the business typically is a signal that there aren't systems in place. And a lot of times when we see that, what it really means is that that business owner hasn't built an asset. A lot of times, you know, they, they, it's, they're the people that are driving that business, so they go really hard, they go really hard, they get a bunch of sales, and then the next month, you know, it, it goes down a bit, and they're trying to get sales back up, and so the, the month after that, it goes back high again. And, and that's right. what we see in some of these deals where, um, you know, somebody's trying to sell something that is really just a job. So those consistent uh, uh, income signals to us that not only is the business stable, but they've probably got some systems in place so that every month, you know, the, the same things are happening and that business is, is running really smoothly. So on a, on a high level, before even getting interested in pursuing a deal, those are the, the main things that we're going to look at. Yeah, very true. And, you know, you raise a lot of good points with that in terms of what people are looking for when they consider buying the business. This is something for all of our entrepreneurs and business creators to think about, especially when I latch on to that last thing for a second, consistency and systems. Uh, you may have the type of business that fluctuates seasonally, and some businesses are like that. In fact, even to a degree, my business is seasonal. Uh, we're actually kind of in a slow period right now, which always seems to happen right about the, the middle of the first quarter of the year, but we prepare for it. Uh, and we also know that we expect a big uptick right around the middle of May. It's been like that for 10 years. We still don't know the reason why, but we have built our systems around expecting that a lot of new business will come in right before summer. It's just the way it functions. Um, yep. I have theories about it, but I, whatever it is, I built systems around it. Uh, and also knowing that if your business does have natural fluctuations in the marketplace, if you do have a base income and you do have a set of consistent clients or consistent customers, so if there's revenue coming in all the time. Because mm -hmm. if I'm looking to buy a business, I may, be, I may be maxing out some credit cards. I may be going into Hawk with the banks. Who knows what I might be doing to be able to acquire that business. So what I'm looking at is uh, I, you know, ideally a business is already successful. But if it's a business that needs a good kick in the butt to get moving again, I want that thing to, I want that thing to howl as soon as, I, as soon as I lay into it because I want that thing to be profitable as quickly as possible and for there already be an infrastructure there that maybe needs tweaked or updated rather than started from scratch. I don't want to you know, buy, buy a house and then have to gut it. I want to buy a house and then have to repaint it. That's how I look exactly. at it. Exactly. And it's, it's one of the expectations – that some sellers don't understand, and that's where training that seller uh, comes into play. And it doesn't mean that we don't get that deal done. I've absolutely had deals that start off like what you're talking about, and, you know, we, it's a, it's a fixer-upper. It needs a ton of work, and it's not the kind of deal that I want to buy, but in some cases, I'll still talk to that seller, nurture that relationship, tell them, listen, this is, these are the changes you need to be made. And whether you're going to sell it to me or anybody else, you're going to get a lot, lot higher multiple and get a better sales price and be able to sell this business at a premium 
if you make these changes. And in a lot of cases, we end up getting a, a really sweetheart deal for, for kind of having the patience to um, kind of pour into that entrepreneur as they build that business into a sellable asset. And so that's, that's just a tip for some of the listeners. You know, when you see that fixer-up business, it's not to say that, oh, I'm out of here, I don't want this, you know, never talk to you again. It's to explain and train them. And we just see this in general. When it comes to buying a house, you know, whether, whether it's knowing how the finances of financing a house works, you know, we all know that you use a mortgage and, you know, we kind of know about HELOCs, home equity lines of credit. We got the basic understanding when it comes to valuation on a business. Uh, we know that there are these things that are appraisers and they're going to use some comps and, and that kind of thing. We, you know, we know when it comes to looking into the, the house itself, you know, you go out, you get an inspector, you want to make sure it has a clean inspection, they're going to look at the foundation and da 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 So even if a person has never owned a house in their life, never bought a house in their life, just from being in society, being around their parents, being around, uh, you know, aunts, uncles, friends, family that have bought and sold houses, they get the basics. When it comes to buying and selling a business, we're just never taught about it, even in the entrepreneurial media. You know, when it comes to getting into business, 99% of it is all about starting from scratch. And so it takes a degree of patience on both ends. Uh, and that's what I'm always kind of teaching the folks that, that I work with. It, you can't expect this person to know that it's a ridiculous uh, request when they're asking for some, you know, crazy amount for their business. It, it takes you going in and training. And then, you know, none of the people that I work with have any experience when it comes to buying a business. They don't know anybody in their family or they don't have any friends that have bought a business. That, you know, they haven't even heard of it on a podcast unless it's an amazing podcast like this one that you've got, Adam. But, yes. You know, they they yes. haven't been exposed to this idea. Yes, Ace Chapman says Business Creators Radio Show is awesome. Okay, exactly. we've got our sound bite. That's good to go. Thank you very much, everybody. Have a great night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it, though. It, it, it's one of those things, and I, I think a, a side note to that is whenever I'm looking for, for opportunities, um, I love finding the thing that, that not a lot of people are already, you know, I, I kind of joke with, uh, some of the, the, the people that I train, you know, it's like people rush to the very same things looking for opportunity. It's like, okay, everybody's doing Facebook ads and everybody's going to jump on the Snapchat and everybody's going to do, you know, meerkat even that now is gone. <laughs> but right. with each one of those things, if, if everybody's rushing to something, that decreases the amount of opportunity. Like if you're seeing every other ad on Facebook is about how you can do ads on Facebook, that's going to be a lot tougher place to play and get real serious income uh, than a lot of the other things that have low-hanging fruit and are a little bit right. easier because there's a lack of competition. That's very, that's very true. And, you know, with, for some reason I'm thinking of the following. When we were getting ready to launch the Business Creators Radio Show, which is, oh, well, oh, well, over three and a half years ago. I mean, we've been around for a long time, broadcasting every Tuesday for since, I believe, September of 2013. So mm. 
I, uh, when I first conceived the idea of the Business Creators Radio Show, I uh, came up with a scratch list of the first round of guests I'd like to have on the show, which anybody does with a podcasty type thing. So this yeah. to one of my coaches, and they thought it would be real cute to take my list and tear it in half right in front of me, saying, well, what the hell do you have this person for? They're a life coach. What do you have this person for? They're talking about <laughs> business acquisitions. What the hell do you have this person for? Uh, they're talking about... They're talking about LinkedIn. What the hell do you have this person for? They're talking about, uh, uh, you know, what, whatever it is. You know, but, but, uh, but, you know you, you're, you're, you're a business that does website conversion, so this should be the website conversion show. And uh, these people should not be on here at all. And I realized that yeah. was about the worst advice I could possibly get, and I'll tell you exactly <laughs> why. Because it was nailing me down into a niche that could limit me. Because I – you know, start talking about website conversions. I was one of the earliest to do so. So I was on the lead of that market. But then after a year or two, just as you said with, you know, the whole thing with the Facebook ads, now everybody's talking about website conversions. And having a website conversion strategy is like having cat food for your cat. Uh, it's like if you don't have a website conversion strategy, you're not in business. I got mm-hmm. into it when people were still saying, wow, you mean we actually have to, like, do stuff to cause our website to make us money? Uh, we can't just, like, put it up there and they'll come? Yeah. But I recognized <laughs> that it was cycling out and, oh, calling myself a website conversion expert, big freaking deal. So yeah. I fortunately was able to get out of that. Now, I'm not putting down all the other people who – call themselves website conversion experts. And I think it's great that they do that. But what I've also noticed with them is they go beyond just saying I'm a website conversions expert. Their hook is often we have a certain you know, funnel strategy or we have a certain software that we've created or a certain software that we specialize in. So the, the hook of it is not the website conversions itself, but it's the how they do it. Uh, and mm-hmm. as a result, it's become a pretty crowded space. Beyond that, uh, my real passion Uh, goes beyond website conversions. What it's really about is seeing all the mistakes that people make as they grow and become entrepreneurs and become successful, not because they're dumb people or because they were stupid, but because they didn't know what they didn't know and helping to expose these things so that they can learn from the illumination of the past being placed before them and have a much faster path to their success for what they're able to avoid, the potholes they're able to navigate around, and our work in filling in the potholes for them before they drive by. So I recognize that uh, to do that successfully, you need a broad range of information, more than just website conversions. So I said, you know, that's some really great advice, but I think we're going to stick with Business Creators Radio Show, and I kind of like my list, so we're just going to go ahead and invite those people. And if you go to the first six months of the Business Creators Radio Show, that's basically my first list. Mm. I think it's really powerful nowadays, just the fact that we there we are on the Internet and everybody has access to everything. It's so powerful to really follow your own path. <laughs> right. Yeah, and so, th- and so this thing can continue to adapt and it continue to expand regardless of what I'm doing as long as I'm somewhere in the entrepreneurial space. So mm-hmm. um, also uh, for all of our listeners, I mean, we're, we're all adults here, so let's talk like adults. We know that having a podcast and being on other people's podcasts is a primo networking tool for you as the business owner, whether you're hosting or whether you're guesting. Uh, some of the 
most exciting things happen in the green room. Uh, we've had cases where uh, people who have been on the Business Creators Radio Show have gotten clients from appearing on here. Uh, I've actually turned some of my guests into clients, and vice versa. Uh, it's it's you know we're finally I'm starting to see us get beyond this whole thing of let's meet for coffee and brainstorm, which actually translates to. Um, can you give me free consulting while you're paying clients' weight, but I'll buy you a cup of coffee. Big freaking deal. I don't drink coffee. I love when people say, hey, you want to meet over coffee? And I say, I don't drink coffee. And uh, you just now want to look on your face. Uh, now, now if, I, if I think that they have something valuable to contribute or maybe I want to pick their brain for a little bit or what have you, is, uh, you know, we'll get, on, we'll get on an episode. And I, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it, it, that goes back to what I was talking about with the sellers. Um, yeah, a lot, it's important to note that eighty, ninety percent of those folks that I that I pour into and give value to and help them grow their business and improve it and all that stuff don't turn into anything. And right. I, I think one of the attitudes in general, and I, I see it when people reach out to me is just this give me attitude. Nobody wants to give first. And, you know, we've heard it on podcasts before, but it's just really, really powerful to um, to go out and figure out how can I just overwhelm somebody? How You know, if it's getting a mentor, how can I overwhelm that person with value and just show them, you know, doing some work for them and not just stuff that they may not care about, but something that you've done the research to know, hey, this is something they find, find valuable, and I'm going to do that work to, to bring that value to them. It's the easiest way to make sure that you get the, the things that you need from those folks. And offering a, a cup of coffee is not going to bring anybody value. <laughs> No, no, it's not because, number one, I don't drink coffee, and number two, we can say, oh, yeah, it's just a quick 45-minute meeting at the coffee shop. That's great. Now you have to deal with the travel costs. Now you have mm-hmm. to deal with the opportunity costs because now that's additional time. You cannot do anything else because you're away from your office and away from your workspace. And third, there's the mental thing. And uh, when I say the mental thing, I advise people to just monitor their activity for a week. And let's say they're in the middle of doing some work, and the phone rings, and it's not a scheduled call, but they decide to pick up the call and answer it. Uh, as soon as they hang up that call, do they get right back to what they were doing, or do they suddenly find themselves on another track, or do they find themselves uh, needing to reorient themselves back to the work? And yeah. they get back to me after a week, and they're stunned by how much productivity that that phone, lo- that, that's, uh, that, that phone costs them when they're taking all these unscheduled calls or, mm. or making these unscheduled trips to coffee shops and things like that. A few weeks ago, somebody told me that uh, they, they felt that uh, I was uh, a very hard person to get a hold of on the phone, and I said, thank you. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for you to be easy for me to get on the phone. There yeah. are actually very many easy ways to contact me. If you want to have a, a great conversation, come on down to the Business Creators Radio Show. That's one mm-hmm. way we can do it. Another way we can do it is I have an online scheduler, and, and when you go through the scheduler, it will ask you 
you know, you know, nicely, what the hell do you want? So you can tell me what you want to speak about and just put yourself on the calendar. You don't have to check with me, and I'm, and I'm sorry if the next availability is not for three days from now, but I know what it's like to uh, – I know in my own business, I sometimes will book a uh, conversation about a client that I've already – you know, who's already paid me in full for the services, but the first meeting about the project isn't going to be for six weeks. And I just yeah. say that's the way business works. People are busy. That's how yep. it is. Yep. It really and, uh, is. And the, yeah, and the beauty – of having a business that sustains you in a way that is sellable is you can enjoy more of these things in life. You don't have to hustle as much to a certain degree. So a couple other questions here that come up, and we have about, yeah. I think, 15 minutes left here. This is really zooming by. Uh, mm-hmm. Once you buy a business, I'm, I'm curious about this. Once you buy a business, do you keep them forever, or do you eventually look to flip them or sell them yourself? Um, it's split. I mean, I especially when I was first starting off, I just – didn't have much money. So I needed to get into a deal, make a little money, grow the business, and then sell it. And so that was, was really my strategy for the probably first half of, of uh, the 17 years that I've been doing this. It's changed a little bit for a couple of reasons. One, um, each time you sell, you have to figure out what you're going to do with that capital. So that becomes more work. And if you're in something, you've already done the work. The first part of the work was finding that deal. You know, it's, it's, it's a lot of work to go out and you're building the relationships. You're doing stuff with sellers like I talked about. You're making contacts and, and you know, and you get 100 different deals that come in and only three of them are anything that is worth really considering. And then, you know, you make offers and two of those are going to get turned down. So you finally get one deal. So you do all of that work, you find a deal, then you've got to go through the transition period, you're, you, you're um, you know, taking over new employees, all those things, and the business has to continue running. Um, and then you get it running smoothly. And the, the toughest thing is, you know, saying, all right, I'm going to get rid of this, and now I've got to go and reinvest uh, that money. And so I end up holding on to a lot of businesses. There have definitely been businesses that um, I'm like, man, I really need to, to sell that. Uh, I had a couple of businesses that got hit by the Amazon change in um, commissions, and I actually kind of had an idea that that was coming, which we did um, do really well with some acquisitions that we were in the process and doing due diligence on because – uh, we, we knew that was coming down the pipe, but I decided to bite the bullet and not sell those even with that decrease in revenue just because they were really great businesses. So the other side of it is I do think that we're in a time right now where the multiples on Internet businesses in particular are going up and they're going to continue to go up. So I put together uh, a product fund, and, you know, I've, I've got my deals and uh, partnering with people on deals that we manage for them. And essentially, um, you know, my, my goal right now is, is really holding on to deals. Right. Yeah, so that, that's, that's a great analysis of what goes into, you know, what goes into mind when you think about acquiring businesses because uh, it's just like – 
people who acquire real estate, they don't buy it just because they're necessarily going to hold on to it forever. I mean, uh, I've, uh, I mean, I've lived in this apartment complex I've lived in for three years, and it's a very large complex. And one large company sold it to another large company uh, last year which mm-hmm. personally I was happy about because I hated the first company. I thought that they <laughs> were much the most incompetent people in the world. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? But this new group, this new group actually are able to do basic things like make the lights work at night around the common areas and mm. keep, the, keep the 24-hour swimming pool open most nights. Uh, mm. Where this previous management company didn't know how to run a swimming pool filter, and uh, they would have, and they would have done anything to close the 24-hour pool. I mean, they were so excited about closing that thing down all the time. Um, yeah. it was like uh, it was like I swear they they if they saw an article that said uh, that albinos were being pro- were being persecuted in Malawi, which actually was happening, uh, they would say in solidarity with the albinos of Malawi, we are going to close the 24-hour pool. I, it was that bad, and I got. We don't want you guys getting tanned. Yeah, when I, yeah, when I, yeah, when I met, and so when I met the new management people, and uh, and I and I heard the the new uh, the new community manager say, "I don't do closed polls. It, it will be open." Nice. Yes, 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 finally, what I'm paying for. But the point is, is uh, the point is, is sometimes acquisitions can be very positive for the people affected by them. Uh, there was, you know, naturally a lot of fear because people didn't understand this new company. And, and then, the, you know, as soon as this new company you know, gets there, gets uh, one foot on the ground, they start repainting all the buildings. And now rumors start flying that they're just fixing it up so they can flip it for a profit. Who knows? I don't know. I just want, yeah. to, I just want to get what I pay for. I don't really care who owns it. And that's an attitude. And the reason I, I went down this tangent is to circle it around. Uh, people who know listen to the show know I can be elliptical sometimes uh, to bring it around to the idea that if your company is so dependent on the person who owns it, you're never going to be able to sell it. It should be the type of thing where the people affected by the company life will go on with that company in their life, regardless of who owns it. Just like with the place where I live, um, you know, life went on when the first company sold to the second company. In fact, it got better for me. And uh, and if they are, in fact, a company that buys things, fixes them up, and flips them for a profit, as long as who they're selling it to continues to deliver to me what I'm paying for, I don't care. Exactly. I don't care. Uh, and when you have that type of – and when your customers can feel confident that the business will continue to serve them, mm. even if you sell it, and it won't cause the fear and panic because you're stepping out and somebody else is stepping in, then you know yep. you've created a sellable asset Yep, that's it. That's it. And it's some, that's a great litmus test for some of the listeners that are building businesses that they want to sell one day. A great litmus test is if I don't work tomorrow, do, do things fall apart? And then how many days can I not work and have things run smoothly? So a, buy, a business buyer, they want to be able to walk in and not have anything change. I know that I'm never going to be trying to sell acechapman.com. That's not an asset that I'm building to sell. It's, it's built around right. me. But there are a lot of entrepreneurs that are building things that they think they're going to sell one day, and even though their name isn't on it, everything is built around them. They're deciding what right. products they're going to sell. They're deciding on the marketing. You know, They're the, the central person that everything comes through. 
and they haven't built a business. They've built a job, and nobody is going to want to buy a job. Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, something else comes to mind here, and it just slipped my mind. It's funny how that works sometimes, but I'm sure it will come back to me in just a moment. You had me thinking about something with all that. Uh, you know, people will, uh, you know, feel that way that uh, if they disappear tomorrow, oh, oh, here's what it is. I, I know I keep myself talking for a minute. Uh, a part of my business, in fact, the part of the business that requires most of my hands-on is me working with a select group of small clients mm. uh, where we do marketing, consulting, you know, managing launches, uh, Sometimes there's operations, sometimes there's team training and things like that. And the fact is, if I disappear, that business disappears. I know this. Uh Now, for years, I was getting well-intentioned coaching from several different sources that says, well, you know, you really shouldn't be doing that at all. You should be training many Adams to do that. Well, I tried that advice many Mm. times at multiple different points over a seven-year period under three different business brands. (laughs) Here's what happened every single time. The nature of what we do for our clients is not the type of thing where you raise a mini atom to do it for you because one of two things happens is either they, just as they're getting good, just as Mm -hmm. they're getting good, somebody else hires them away to work full-time when I just wasn't quite at the point where I was ready to give them a full-time income. So now mm-hmm. I have to start over again after I invested all that time, or I would think that I had them good to go, and then they would just totally blow it on a project, and I'd have <laughs> to clean up and do the work anyway. Uh, so, uh, you know, how many times in seven years under three different business brands can you try the same thing, uh, adapt and learn the lessons each time so you're not fulfilling Einstein's definition of insanity, have it not work for you, until you recognize maybe this isn't the one I'm supposed to leverage. So where my pushback is, yes, I'm fully aware that this business I have right now, if something happens to me, the business disappears. I get that. So I don't want to leverage this one. I don't want to grow this one. Uh, I want this to be a handful of top clients where we play at a very high VIP level, and they get to stay as long as they want to stay and as long as it's mutually beneficial for us to work together, and that will never change regardless of what I do. But as far as my leverage business, I want to do something else. There's no mm-hmm. law that says just because I'm in one business that everything <laughs> else I do has to be that same business. I can, I can do different things. So mm-hmm. for, for anybody listening out there who hears my frustration with that and says, hey, you know, that, I kind of feel the same way. Instead of having to take time off from your current unleverageable business, what if you just – put a little bit of time into your unleverageable business, you know, maybe picked up maybe one more client and just put all that money into, into debt retirement or savings or what have you, or just stepped up your game with your existing clients, raise your rates, spend more time on them to get more money, do more things for them to help them create and grow their businesses faster so you get bigger fees, and then take that and then buy a business that does not yeah. require you to be 24 hours. You don't have to build another infrastructure. You just have to take over something that's working and tweak it. Sounds pretty good to me. And the other thing I'll add to that, Adam, is for the people that are in a job, you know, there are are folks that are so anxious to get out of a job. And and I have people that have even well-paying jobs, and either one or two things happen. 
you know, they, they can start something and it is going well and it is that side hustle, but they don't take the time to let it mature and reinvest in that business and they want to, you know, just jump off and start using that to pay their uh, expenses and, and that stunts the growth of that, that business too early. Or they end up just trying project after project after project. And, and so one of the things that, that I'm really proud of, and, and you can see a lot of the stories on our YouTube page, is that yep. you know, this is one of the systematic processes that you can go through where you're working a job, you're saving up some cash, and you're eventually buying an existing business that will replace your income that has already gone through all of those startup trials and tribulations four or five years ago. You know, we're, we're buying a deal right now uh, that is an internet business that was started in 2001, man, back in, back in our early days, which is really incredible. Right. So this thing has gone through the original stock market crash in 2001, the 2008 thing, you know, it's still here. So you go out, you buy something like that, it's been around forever. And eventually, um, you know, even in, in some cases, I have people that will get two or three deals. You know, they're like, okay, I remember there was one lady, we did this awesome business that sells uh, uh, Catholic kind of memorabilia. And, uh, you know, th the main reason she reached out to me, she's like, I I'm working, I'm working crazy hours, I'm not getting to see my kids enough, I want to spend time with them, and I feel like I I'm really stuck. And so I want to buy a business so that I can get out of this job and, and you know, just spend more time with my kids. Right. And so we get this deal done. Every meets all the criteria. I actually doubled her income. So it, it doubled her income. She, because it was such a great business, her, <laughs> it was kind of funny story. Like she, her parents, she was telling me, I was like, man, I really love this thing. It's kind of a stretch for me. I don't know where I'm going to come up with the money. And her parents were like, well, we'll, we'll loan it to you. And she's like, y'all don't have any money. Like, y'all don't have the money to do that. And they're like, oh, actually. <laughs> and then it turns out like they were doing a lot better. So you, you have these uh, different interesting uh, things like that. But the funny thing was we get the deal done. She's making money. You know, she's happy. And then I, I kind of check in six months later. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Are you loving spending time with your kids? Like, no, no. She was like, no, actually, I, I, I kind of got into it. I was running the business. I was doing it at night. My kids were helping me. My husband's helping me. And I realized, like, wow, like, I can continue to make the money from this. And I've got this other income that's double my uh, salary. And man, we could just stack up a ton of money over the next four years and totally change our lives for four or five years from now. So I, I, everybody, did, like, I think um, people are at two extremes, Adam. And this is what I see, and, and I think this will be a good thing to close out on. You know, there are two extremes. We see the people that are like, okay, I'm going to work a job. I'm going to save for 30 freaking years. Let Wall Street rate my money for, for all those years. Pay me a, some paltry return. It's going up and down. And then one day when I'm about to die, I'll be able to retire. And then at the other extreme, it's like, okay, or I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm going to make a million dollars tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, when you've got those two things, like, it, it, there's no, like, okay, you know what, I'm going to hustle for five to ten years 
and really change my life and having that real, you know, longer-term view that's in the middle of those things. It's like it's either, you know, I'm sacrificing my whole life or I'm joining the Nets Get Rich Quick scheme. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, you, know, you brought up a good point uh, to add on to my point about people who are already in jobs and are thinking about their job securities. We discussed near the beginning of this interview, we're talking about the rise of the robots and how really, uh, if you're somebody who works for a paycheck, you're still basically an entrepreneur uh, because you have mm-hmm. to have those same skills to be able to advance in your career. Company loyalty is dead. And if you've been in the same place working for the same company for three years, it's not so much that, oh, you're loyal. It's more like, whoa, you've been there for three years? Dude, when are you moving? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that, yeah. that's, where, that's where we are today because career paths today, if you choose a career path, and we do have listeners who listen to the Business Creators Radio Show because they take the entrepreneurial lessons and apply it to their career, and God mm. bless them, they're doing great. They recognize it is a zigzag, and they recognize the need for personal entrepreneurial marketing to grow in their careers. Same thing is uh, you know, they may want to have a business, to, uh, so maybe with you know, the paycheck they get, they can afford to spend all that on lifestyle, knowing they have this other business that's bringing in nice additional revenue that they can pump all into savings and all into investments so that they're living a nice lifestyle, you know, enjoying the life that they have now uh, without having to worry of, well, I better decide whether or not the kids are going to have macaroni and cheese or ramen noodles because we really have to put some money into the college fund this month and we can't afford the mortgage, having mm. this type you know, being able to buy a business and make that part yep. of your income and part of your lifestyle can solve that problem for you. So, uh, And then also knowing you have a hedge against some robot taking over your job or some weird thing happening in the stock market or your company just disappearing one day, which can happen. So yeah. you know, I think you're right. This is a great place for us to wrap up. But what I'd like to do, uh, we have about two minutes left, and I want to give one of those to you, Ace. And I want you to tell our listeners who are on the edge of their seat thinking this is something that to me is very interesting and I'd like to explore further. How can they work with you and how can they engage with you to get that process started? Well, there there are a couple of things that I would recommend. You know, to to make sure that buying a business is the right thing for you, I would check out um, our YouTube channel. You can go to YouTube, just search Ace Chapman. There are a lot of stories of folks who have gone through this process because the mentality is definitely a lot different than starting a business. And and so you want to make sure that this is something that is right for you. And then if if you listen to those videos, you check out those case studies, and you feel like, you know, I'm I'm interested in this, then uh, feel free to check out the website, acechapman.com. And we've got a lot more information there, and you can reach out to us. And for those that are just like, hey, teach me something, you know, I want to learn something, uh, check out the book, The Ace Formula. It's on Amazon. And uh, for, for the readers out there, that's a good way to find out a little bit more about, you know, our philosophies behind what we do and how we've built up this portfolio of businesses. Well, I might have to check out that book for myself, The Ace Formula. Yeah. All right. So awesome. Uh, Ace Chapman of PartnersEquityFund.com and AceChapman.com, thank you so much for being with us here today. Uh, it has been an honor and an education. We were so honored to, uh, by your willingness to come back and play with us again. 
Great being here, Adam. Thanks for having me on. All right. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.